0: Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. John and Michael have brought a wonderful guest onto the show today. She's calling in, I believe, from New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken, and that is Mary Reed. Mary Reed is National Director of Pension and Protection Planning at Pentegro Retirement Services and partner of M&R Business Development Group. Mary is a leading authority in qualified retirement plans with more than 30 years experience. Mary has an extensive background in plan design and development, and she is a CPC, QP. QPA, I got to get that one right, and CPFA, which I don't know what any of those mean, but obviously it means she's incredibly educated and she has a lot of designations, so she knows what she's talking about. John and Michael, thank you so much for bringing her on the show today and welcome. Hey, Eric. Hey, Eric. Thanks. All right. I'm excited. I'm here to learn. Why did you bring Mary on today?
2: We brought Mary on today. Mary's one of the specialists that we uh, resource when the situation arises, and I think if you've been listening to our podcast in the past, that's one thing that we really try to do is build collaborative teams and bring in specialists when our families have a particular need for their services. and And Mary is, as you as you mentioned, uh, Erica, with all her designations, uh, Mary is is Hi, Mary. really one of our qualified plan specialists that we utilize with our families, and the reason why we brought her on today is she has developed a very unique strategy as it relates to specific qualified plans and the distributions from those plans And one of the things that that we deal with a lot with our families and our families really are, are dealing with particularly with qualified plans is that as they get to a certain age if you and I'm sure Mary will will outline some of the the laws around this but as you reach a certain age you have to start taking distributions from qualified plans. And a lot of the families that we deal with, they really, for one reason or another, don't either need these distributions or they don't want to take these distributions. And so they become really, believe it or not, a a headache or a problem for them tax-wise because the distributions from these plans typically are not the most tax-advantaged distributions that one can take. And so Mary's strategy she's going to be talking about today is really how how families can shift uh, these distributions into a um, non-required format end up passing a lot more assets on to their to the family and future generations of their family, and that's really why we brought Mary on today.
1: Fantastic. Well, I'm here to learn.
2: All right. So, Mary, why don't, if you can, walk walk our audience through maybe some of the 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 general laws around qualified plans, and also maybe touch on what's come up over the last at the end of 2019. With the Secure Act passage and how that's really changed the landscape a little bit for qualified plans.
3: Okay, sure, I'd be happy to. And the Secure Act did change the landscape quite a bit. So let's just kind of talk about the rules without getting uh, too deep into the technical aspect here. But these rules affect everybody. Everybody loves accumulating money in qualified plans because it all goes in tax deductible. It grows tax deferred, so you pay no taxes while it's in there. But eventually, that money has to come out, and everybody hates the taxes when it comes out. When it comes out, it's always taxes, ordinary income. There's no way to change it into long-term capital gains. So when that money's received, whether it's during life or it passes at the, the owner's death, it will be taxed at the ordinary income rates of the recipients. So that's one factor, you know, what rate will that be? Because it's not only what are the tax rates today, but what might they be in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or whatever, when that money comes out. Now, you're right. A lot of people don't want to take this money out. So they leave this money in the accounts as long as they can. And eventually they hit the age where required minimum distributions have to start coming out. Now, that used to be age 70 and a half. And this is one of the changes that the Secure Act brought effective January 1. They pushed back that age to 72. So that's nice. So, you know, if you have money in these accounts now, you don't have to start taking your required distributions until you're 72. You've got an extra 18 months from what it used to be. But again, once you hit 72, you have to take that money out. So it doesn't matter that you don't need it. You have to take it out. The distributions are based upon the IRS table. Simple math, you divide by the table factor, that's how much you have to take out. And the and the amounts are, aren't so high when you're you know, 70, 72, maybe it's going to be you know about 4% of your account. By the time you get to be 80 and 85, now you're pulling out maybe Sometimes 10 percent of your account. We're waiting to see if they're going to revise that table, by the way. Now that they push the age back to 72, we don't know what they're going to do. So we have the existing table. But whatever comes out will be taxable. Now, the the planning strategy most commonly used by people don't need these money. You know, people have other assets. Usually this is the last money they want to spend down because it can pay tax on every dollar as they draw it out. So, very common strategy that was that was used by people is to just take out this required minimum amount and let that account keep growing, nice compounding on a tax deferred basis. Um, at their death, they pass that account on to a beneficiary, and that beneficiary could then take that account over their lifetime. So you can imagine, you know, if if I had this account and I die and I pass it on to my child who's twenty five. Let's say, or, or 30, you know, whatever, they're a lot younger than me. So now the distributions will be based on their life expectancy. So if they're in their 20s, they're going to be have a life expectancy of 80 something on the table. So those payments might come out stretched over the next 50 or 60 years. And all that time that account is growing and compounding and they're just taking out the required amounts and they can control kind of what the taxation would be to some degree because you're only taking out the required amount every year. Very, very common strategy. That strategy went away on January 1. In the SECURE Act, one of the ways that they're paying, right, when they push the required minimum distribution date back to 72, what does that mean for the IRS? It means they're losing tax revenue, right, because it's getting pushed back. One of the ways they're making up for that loss is they got rid of the stretch IRA. So they rewrote that rule. So now when someone dies, and this applies to anyone that dies January 1, 2020 or later, when that person dies and their account goes to a beneficiary, there are some exceptions. I'll get to those in a minute. But generally, that beneficiary now has to take distribution of that full account within 10 years. So now if my account, let's use my same example, goes to my 25-year-old child, Instead of taking that money over the next 60 years, they're going to have to take it all. They're going to have to drain that account within 10 years. So think about the math on that. If I left a million dollar account and they could stretch it over the rest of their life, maybe they're pulling out, I don't know, 20000 $25,000 a year. Now they get a million dollar account. It all has to be distributed within 10 years. It's going to be taxed at the maximum possible tax rate. For most of these people. So that just increased the tax impact dramatically on that money and absolutely took control of that out of that person's hands. So now you're going to see these accounts eroded by 40, 50, 60% because of this tax impact that's going to hit by having to move up those distributions.
4: So, Mary, I guess your point, I guess your point in this would be it's a great asset while you're living, but it's not a great asset when you pass away. It has some complexity now. Yes,
3: it is, it is a great asset to accumulate. It is one of the worst assets to die with. Any money that's in a qualified account is fully subject to income tax and estate tax at death. Now, spouses get a special rule here. They do get a special exception. If you have spouses, when the first spouse passes away, the surviving spouse can inherit the account and make it their own. Now, the required minimum distributions will be based upon their life. They're not forced to liquidate that in 10 years. They're under the RMD table. But once that second spouse dies, now it will go usually to the children. They're going to be hit with this 10-year rule. So you have this, Yeah?
2: One question, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but one question that a lot of families ask us as it relates to these required minimum distributions is, let's say, like a Roth conversion. So maybe somebody, as they approach that required minimum distribution age, or maybe... You know, five or ten years ahead of that period of time, will do a Roth conversion. Which, if I'm correct, will actually avoid that RMD. Is that right? Is that a a common strategy that people will use that of your clients?
3: You know, it 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 yes and no. It's uh, it's certainly one of the options, and and up until now, it has been one of the options, but not a popular one, because when you convert that account, you have to pay tax on the full conversion. That's a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of people. You know, if I convert a million dollar account, i probably have to come up with four hundred thousand dollars to pay the taxes on that conversion. That's not something people really enjoy doing. But sometimes it makes sense and it does get it out of the R and D's. So it gets that out of that future taxation, gets it out of the R and D's. Those are good things. The bad news is you have to pay the tax. Now that has become a more popular option. I've been seeing in the industry, you know, lots of people have been talking about the Secure Act and the implications. And I've seen several presentations where what people are suggesting is because of this tax problem, because of this 10-year rule, do a Roth conversion. Do a Roth conversion, pay your tax now so you can get it out, of, out from under that and you'll never pay tax again. And that, that, is, that is reasonable. However, there's still that big tax bill that's looming beh- before you. You're going to pay tax on that conversion at the maximum rate. Um, so we have a better solution.
2: And what is that solution?
3: All right. So there is a special rule in the IRS rule. Whenever a dollar is distributed from any kind of qualified account, I'm talking all qualified accounts here, whether it's an IRA, a defined benefit, a 403B, a 401K, all qualified accounts, right? That is all money that has not been taxed until it's distributed. And when it's distributed, it will be taxed as ordinary income at life and at death. So under that rule, whenever you distribute a dollar from a qualified plan, you're taxed in a dollar. But there is a unique rule, a special rule in the IRS rules that says, however, if that dollar is sitting inside a life insurance contract and we distribute the life insurance contract, we pay tax on what the IRS defines as the market value of that contract. Now, life insurance is the only asset that gets this different treatment. And what is market value? There is the key question because that's what you pay tax on. So this is a strategy that's actually been around for quite a while. There were insurance companies using this strategy back in the 1990s, and the early 2000s. And what they would do is they would kind of manipulate what they thought the taxable value of that policy was. So the IRS didn't care for that. They came out with a revenue procedure in 2005. And in that revenue procedure, they clearly defined... That when you distribute a life insurance policy from a qualified plan, it's taxed on its market value, not cash surrender value. And then they went further in that revenue procedure to give a safe harbor calculation for defining market value. So they leave room that you could do your own valuation, but if you do, they can challenge it. We do this strategy with clients and we always use the safe harbor because that is absolutely clean. The IRS can't question that. It's their calculation. But the result of that is by, by that market value calculation, when you use the right policy, the right policy is key here. We will get a discount in the tax, usually in the neighborhood of about 20%. But even better than that, if we distribute that policy and let's just say, you know, everybody's numbers are different, but, you know, but just on, on a, on a generalization basis here, if I put a million dollars into that contract, And I distributed, maybe I'm going to pay tax on $800,000 as the market value. I just discounted my tax about 20%, you know, give or take somewhere in there. But now I'll never pay tax on that asset again. So I now have the money in a life insurance policy. Once it's out of that qualified plan and I've paid my tax, pay my tax, I'm done. Now that money is going to grow in that policy and I've, I've accomplished a few things. Number one, when I die, The death benefit paid from a life insurance policy to my beneficiary is income tax-free. If I die with the money in my IRA, it's fully taxable. So I've leveraged up the benefit usually multiple times, sometimes as much as six, seven, eight, sometimes 10 times as to what my beneficiary will get there. If I should decide I need access to that money during my lifetime, I have full access to the cash in that policy that's growing tax-free. And I can pull that money out tax-free Should I need it? Should I want it to use during my lifetime? And lastly, these policies that we use also have uh, living benefits in them, which, which say that, you know, if you have a major health event, you can also access cash in the policy tax free um, under special insurance rules to use during your lifetime. So if suddenly you had a long term care situation or a heart attack or some illness, um, this is another pot of money that can be available to that person on a tax free basis um, to use. So we've repositioned that money so that it's no longer income taxable. We are now in a tax-free growth vehicle. So all the future benefits that will come out will be income tax-free. And we've we've done it along the way, reducing the tax bill to get that conversion, unlike on the Roth where you would pay tax on the full value. Um, This discounts it and moves everything into that tax-free position and then leverages it with the power of life insurance.
4: Mary, real quick, early on in my, in my career, we used to talk about life insurance and the plans because it has been around for a while. And, and we used to talk to the younger age group because it was kind of a self completion kind of mechanism. So, for example, if they made a, you know, $10,000 contribution to their 401k plan that year, they could take a piece of that and buy a life insurance policy for, let's say $250,000 that if they die prematurely, There's another death benefit inside the plan that would boost the value so the heirs get more. So that was one of the logics that we had. So would you, Would you? I guess here's a question. A lot of the listeners probably don't realize they can do that in their plan. And you and I both know that some plans do not allow life insurance in their structure, so they have to be amended. So you want to walk through a little bit of that because there's going to be questions, I'm sure. Does my plan have that benefit available to me?
3: Sure. You know, I've done life insurance and qualified plans for a very long time. <laughs> you know, and those rules have been around for a long time. We can buy insurance in any kind of qualified plan, not a SEP or a simple, because those are IRA plans. When I say qualified plan, I mean plans that are under Section 401A of the code. That includes profit sharing, 401K. If anybody has an old money purchase plan out there, get my insurance in there too, and defined benefit plans. So we can buy insurance in all of those kinds of plans. There are rules that limit how much of the money we can put into the life insurance. But it's always been an attractive option for for people who understood how to do it because it's a way to buy this nice life insurance protection on a highly discounted basis. Very discounted because of the way the math works out. Uh, you're paying it with pre-tax dollars, but in the defined benefit plan, you even get greater leveraging of that than that because of the way it's calculated. So we could do it in all of those plans. Your plan has to allow for it. Um, which means your plan document has to al- have the language in there that allows for the purchase of the life insurance. It's a very specialized area. Most third-party administrators, right, when you have a qualified plan, there's reporting and testing and things that have to be done to keep it in compliance. So typically, a third, what's called a third-party administrator is hired to do that job. That's your pension administrator. And they're referred to as TPAs. Most TPAs do not handle life insurance and qualified plans. It's a very specialized business. And, and to be honest, a lot of privately owned TPAs don't do it because they lose money. It's labor intensive and they can't charge enough for it. So they don't do it. It doesn't mean it's not okay. You just that they don't do it. Um, so you have to find a TPA who can handle life insurance and qualified plans. Sometimes, uh, you know, we talk to someone who wants to add insurance, their third party administrator can handle it. Great. They can do it. If not, We have to move the administration of the plan on with a firm that does it, Pentegra does it. We have a niche specialty in this. Um, Pentegra is a very big administrator across the country and we do this. But it just means moving the administration of the plan and and amending the plan document. The investments in the plan can stay where they are. They don't have to move. This is purely an administrative uh, kind of feature that has to be addressed. Now, when we're doing this particular strategy that I'm talking about today, we always do this in a 401k or a profit sharing plan. The reason there are the the rules, there are more lenient about life insurance um, in a couple of ways that really help us. Number one, when we're buying insurance in those plans, if we roll money in from an existing outside account, like an IRA, maybe someone's accumulated this money in an IRA, whenever we roll money in, we can use all of it for life insurance premium under the IRS rules. If we're using current contributions, we're limited. We can only use a piece of it. But rolled-in money, we can use all of it. Also, in a 401 care profit-sharing plan, the person who owns the account in the plan can use that money to buy insurance on themselves or on anybody that they have an insurable interest in. So that means they can take that money and buy life insurance on their own life. They can buy insurance on their spouse. They can buy insurance on their children. So in terms of leveraging, Right. If I have an account and let's say I'm in this plan and I have this account, it may be my own business, usually it is, Um, and I'm still working. And let's just say, I don't know, let's say I'm 60 years old. Well, insurance, we know one thing about insurance it doesn't matter who the carrier is. The older you are, the more insurance, more expensive insurance becomes. Your life expectancy is shorter. So if I buy the insurance on my life, you know, again, I'll make up numbers here because. It depends on the age and how much money we're working with. Just as an example, let's say I'm 60 years old and I buy insurance and the amount of spending buys me $2 million of insurance. But if instead, if, if, what am I going to do with this $2 million? I'm probably going to pass it on to my kids if I don't need the money. Well, what if I insured my children instead? So if I'm 60, let's say my children are in their 30s. If I buy the insurance on my children, rather than buying $2 million of death benefit, maybe it will buy $4 million of death benefit, maybe even more. So now I have a choice. If I had this money in my account, let's say I had a million dollars in my account. I can leave it in my account, take out my required minimum distributions. When I die, uh, it's going to get passed on and it's all going to get taxed. And it'll maybe have grown along the way, but now my million dollar account, I know I use an example. If I have a 55 year old with a million dollars, by the time that person is 90, the tax bill on that account has become almost a million dollars. But I have a choice. I could say, okay, instead of doing that, I'm going to take that money and move it into the insurance. I'll distribute this policy probably in about five years to be fully paid for. I could buy the insurance on my life and let's say in my little example here, it buys $2 million of insurance. So with the day I die, my beneficiary will get $2 million income tax-free. If I have an estate problem, I can move it into a, an irrevocable trust to also keep it out of the estate. Or if I'm going to give this to my money, money to my children anyway, maybe I buy the insurance on their lives. Instead of buying $2 million, I buy $4 million or $5 million of coverage And now what happens at my death, they inherit ownership of those policies. The only thing that's in my estate is the cash surrender value of the policies. There's no death benefit at my death. And now my children will own these policies. I fully paid for them. The estate tax was just on the cash surrender value. They have these policies now with all this tax building up in them that's available to them, income tax-free during their lifetime. And at their death, the benefit, the death benefit will go tax-free to their beneficiary, which presumably is most likely going to be their children. And this can be a way to provide and build a legacy to my grandchildren.
2: Yeah, Mary, that was one area for Copper Beach that was really attractive is because, and you alluded to it, if if an account owner is not really going to need this money, we, that that asset then become we do, we do this a lot with families. That asset now becomes more of a legacy asset. That is an asset that the the, the typically the spouses are not going to to need to maintain their lifestyle, and it's an asset that the, that the kids are going to inherit. And again, as you brought up earlier with the Secure Act, it made more sense to leave that plan to a child because they could, as you as you mentioned, stretch that income out over their lifetime. Now, if they have to take that out within ten years now that really changes the tax calculation on that legacy asset where where this type of strategy becomes pretty attractive for a lot of families, particularly if you can, as you mentioned, insure the children. Because then again, we think generationally with a family, that could be a way in which you can take these assets that you're going to leave your children anyway, and you could put the insurance on them, and you could help them with their life plan and, and financial plan. We, we've seen a lot of interest... Amongst our families, with that concept, where you can actually help your children, you know, who maybe have young families of their own, this now becomes a way for you to help them with their financial plan, mostly for a gift for the grandkids and things like that. In fact, I think we're looking at at doing this. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to jump family. in
4: here. I'm going to full disclosure. We're working about three or four cases with Mary now, and one of the cases is really an interesting case. But we have an older gentleman in Florida who has a, a pretty substantial. IRA that he doesn't need. What we've accomplished with this design where we insured the three children who are in their thirties and I think early forties, if I'm mistaken. And we're able, and and I'm not sure if I got the numbers exact, but I'll give you, I'll give you the parameters. We took a asset that was worth probably $3 million and we created a death benefit scenario on three of the kids that were about 15 million in death benefit. If you do the math, If you didn't use the, again, if, if, if the, if the owner died, the kids would just inherit the policies. But now that they have their policies now in place for their children, let's assume they wanted to access at age 65 from a retirement standpoint, the cash value in the policies. Uh, Mary, I think I, I think I got these numbers correct, but they were able to take almost $300,000 out a year from 60, from age 65 to 85, tax free, each one of these policies. So it's an interesting design where you either, if you need the death benefit, you have it for your heirs, again, the children. Or if the children want to use the cash value through their retirement, they could use the cash value in the policies from a supplemental benefit to enhance their income ability through retirement. So it's taken a highly taxed asset in the beginning with the client owned, moved it to the children, leverage it with a death benefit, and also leverage the tax-free income, which is worth millions to the kids over the course of that 20-year period. By the way, that was each child was going to get that $300,000 a year from age 65 to 85 because they all have three different policies. So it's extremely dynamic and you have to do the math. And Mary's done a good job explaining this to our families. But here are their comments. This is a game changer. That's two of the family said that because I've taken an asset that's highly taxed, swapped it for a non-taxable entity and leveraged my children or my grandchildren. It's a game changer. So that's the feedback we're getting. So this is this is something that that you should consider if that's a concern of yours from a planning standpoint. And Mary's options are a very, very good one.
3: And, and I'll just add one further comment. That has definitely been my experience. And um, the higher the numbers, the more of a game changer it becomes for people because of that tax bill that's looming for them. But I just want to reiterate, everything we're doing here is very clean. It's right in the IRS regulations. We're using the safe harbor. So we're not creating risk for those clients.
4: Yeah, you don't have to have a three million dollar IRA. By the way, you could have a smaller IRA. It's a planning issue. Is what you're trying to accomplish with your family, and that that means you need to sit down with your financial advisor and take a look at this option. As as it now, because of this exposure tax wise, it could be very very important decision you can make.
2: Uh, Mary, one thing that that uh, seems to come up from the families that we worked with, and I think it was actually an initial question I had when 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 I met you, which is. Do you get a lot of pushback from the other advisors, primarily, let's say, a CPA or the accounting teams, when you present this option to them? Because I imagine, this isn't something that that is very common in in their experience working with their clients.
3: Right. Uh, the, there are two challenges that I would say are the biggest challenge. The first is with the CPAs; they have not seen this. Um, no one has showed it to them. They don't know how it works. So, you know, if they don't understand something, they get very nervous. So. We walk through it with them step-by-step, step, and virtually 100% of the time, once they understand what we're doing, they get on board. They just need to understand it because they have not seen it before. Sure. So we've had very good success with the CPA. And uh, the other one is if we do have another investment advisor in the picture who's investing those assets, sometimes we wrestle a little bit because we're going to pull money out of those investments to move it to the insurance. But it's a much better tax positioning for the client.
2: Right. Yeah, and that's and that's where it becomes a planning issue. That really the 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 client and the family really has to make that decision for themselves. So, Mary, if someone wanted to take advantage of this
4: option, what, what would what would you recommend the process to be to evaluate whether or not this is uh, something they should consider? What, what would the first, second, or third step be?
3: Um, probably the first step is, uh, would be for them to reach out to you. That would be the you know since they know you, I'm sure you have all your contact information available. What I, the first step really is to run an illustration for that client so we can see what the numbers look like. This all does come down to the numbers. So, um, so is math. We need we don't need, it, it, yeah, it's fast. It's fast. We don't need a great deal of information. We just need to know how old people are, how much money they're working with, and what state they're in. So we don't need a great deal of information to, to run the initial numbers.
4: Okay. So so if if you looked at the... The current changes. Do you think they'll 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 change this along the way, or you think this is pretty much solid going forward as far as yet?
3: That, <laughs> That's it's, it's, it's a really good question, and you never know what they're going yeah. to do. <laughs> but this this particular change with the, with the IRS was was uh, proposed every year for the last six years, and it so finally came through. Hmm. They've been pushing it for a long time. They wanted that tax revenue, so they now have what the, they now have what they wanted. So I don't think we're going to see it change, you know, someday it will change, but I don't think it's going to change for a long time. Right now, I think they're right where they wanted. The one thing that, that they didn't get that they wanted in the original proposals, all the existing stretch IRAs would not have been grandfathered. They would have become subject to the 10-year rule as soon as it passed, but um, that did not get in. So those are grandfathers. So people who currently have inherited beneficiary IRAs who are stretching them can keep them. So that was one thing they didn't get that they wanted, but I don't envision them coming back after those. I think they've pretty much got what they want at this point on the existing account. So I don't think we're going to see, you know, they'll come out with some regulations. We'll see some detail, but I don't think they're really going to change it, uh, not in the foreseeable future. I think this is here to stay.
2: And this is a major change. You would probably know how long the stretch IRA has been in place, but I think it's been over 30 years if I, if I remember. Yeah.
3: It's been a very, very long time, but from the IRS's perspective, it's been a long time. But so have qualified plans and IRAs. Right? We've had IRAs since the nineteen seventies, four hundred one k since nineteen eighty one. So there are now massive amounts of monies accumulated in these plans. Uh, The statistic right now is over twenty nine trillion dollars.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, I I was going to say, Barry, because if you look at the the baby boomer generation alone, which has pretty much uh, most of that wealth, my guess would be. They saw an yep. opportunity to capture under this new strategy a lot of money in taxes. And I'd say this is not done by accident. I <laughs> guess was, nothing's done in Washington by accident when it comes to taxes. There's a focus here, which, which, I, which is, I'm glad you answered my question because I don't think they're uh, ever going to go back on this because this is too lucrative for them to collect those revenues. So this program that you're discussing could be a very, very important decision that families can make to capture and maintain the wealth and the and the hard work they put in their 401k plans and the qualified plans and IRAs to make it work for the family.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 frankly for a lot of people, if they don't, a lot of that money is going to evaporate because the tax bill will be high. I've also had some interesting conversations with people who have children that are younger, you know, teens, 20s, (coughs) who say, you know, if my child inherits that account all at once, they're going to spend it. Right. you know it's it's going to be gone it's just going to all be gone and it it just won't be there for them anymore because of the nature of, of young people get a bunch of money and they might go spend it so there's that kind of that social aspect to it too but but the taxes is the key thing here is the big thing and it's you know if they if people don't rep- reposition this money we have the current tax act is going to sunset in 2026 we are going to immediately bounce back to the prior federal rates, which are a little bit higher. And then who knows after that. And as the longer you put off, you know, as time goes on for the distribution of those dollars, the more likely it is those tax rates are going to be higher.
4: Yeah. That's why, and Michael's point earlier, that's why we, we think this is a, 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 from our standpoint, a game changer for families. Cause we know the facts. We know that every third generation families use their wealth for a lot of reasons. So this is a way to really uh, maximize and leverage an asset to k- keep that wealth perpetuating through the generations. This is just another vehicle or a better vehicle using an asset like an IRA to maximize that. Because you're right, Mary, the, 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 the ability to control money in this program is, is tremendous with the life insurance design. Cause you could have a trust on it and it could be very dynamic again via a death benefit potentially to the third generation to the grandkids where there's more wealth that's going to be created in these trusts using the death benefit on these designs versus if grandpa left that uh, IRA to everybody. It's just a whole different switch. We think it's, it's fantastic.
3: It's a powerful tool for sure.
4: Yeah. Well, Mary, we, we, we thank you very much for today. I, I know we're probably running short on some time. Do you have any other thoughts before we, we move on?
3: No, I think we've pretty much covered the, you know, the, the guts of this and what it really means, but I would just encourage people don't procrastinate. Things happen when you procrastinate, <laughs> you know? So I, I always recommend people really give it some thought and, and take the next step. And, and the way we do this, we run the numbers for everybody to look at. If you don't, if they don't look good, don't do it. You know, it's worth a look.
2: All right. Well, Mary, well, th- thanks again for your time. And uh, yeah, to echo, to echo Mary's point, if, if you're out there and listening and you may be, think that this strategy could be helpful or useful in your planning. You could certainly get in touch with your advisors. You can get in touch with Mary at Pentegra. Uh, Is This is something that you should certainly look at in your planning if if you have a large qualified plan balance.
1: Eric, any thoughts from your side? I told you I was going to learn a lot and holy cow. (laughs) This was uh, a fantastic podcast. Leaves me with probably more questions than answers, which is a great place to leave the audience because Hopefully, they'll be reaching out and and calling you guys. Mary, thank you so much for your time today. This was fantastic. I appreciate it. And I think everybody listening, they've got a lot to think about. So I I hope you're able to come back again sometime. John and Michael, thank you guys for your time as well.
4: Always a pleasure. Thanks, Mary.
3: Thank you.
1: And thank you all for listening to the Truth About Wolf podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device it makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And wow, if you want to get a conversation started, share this one for sure. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.
5: This material is for informational purposes only. Pentegra Retirement Services is not affiliated with Copper Beach or American Portfolios. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services Incorporated, a member of FINRA, SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principle. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.